Welcome back. This is the second installment of Talking Tech. Today, I have my lifelong best friend, quite possibly the smartest person I know that's my age, computer science wizard, Adam Sirk. We're talking about Apple today, how they grew to get so big, and what your thoughts are on ethics behind them getting so big and their leadership style. I hope you enjoy. Wanted to know your thoughts on Steve Jobs as a leader. So um, let's establish some baseline for our thousands of listeners that may not be familiar with Steve Jobs. Tens of thousands. Tens, tens, and tens of thousands. Yeah. Uh, didn't we look at the the ratings? You got we got like people from Morocco listening to this, right? Yeah, Morocco is actually one of our biggest fan bases. Okay, yeah. So for the people in Morocco that don't know. Um, Steve Jobs is known for his um, erroneous, erratic uh, leadership style, or was known. Yeah, harsh. Harsh. Mm -hmm. Because he started Apple, he was one of the two founders of Apple and was a CEO for the majority of the time. Mm -hmm. And he was known for yelling, cussing, chewing out his employees. Uh And when they had good ideas, he'd tell them that they were absolutely horrible. Yep said worse things. Then he'd come back the next day and say he has a genius idea and take their idea. Mm -hmm. And you get a lot of credit. But it goes against conventionary wisdom of of that's how to lead. Yeah. But he's done, he did really well. He did really well. I mean, Apple's today is now biggest company in the world worth over $2 trillion. Mm -hmm. First company ever. So (laughs) what do you think about that? I think um, we could take this conversation in a variety of ways, but I think an interesting one we could tight get in is um, how do you think we should deal with other people um, when we're trying to get something from them? Yeah. I, I think you asking me to be on this podcast was an example of you wanting to have me here, uh, not necessarily because I'm going to be super insightful, but because you need someone to be on the podcast. Yeah. Um, and you, you asked nicely and we have a good report. Um, so I was happy to be here, but his style was making you feel bad about yourself and then want to either a prove him wrong or, uh, B spite him and show you show him that you are worthy. Would, would you agree with that? Yeah, I'd agree with that. Um, I think a lot of the time you you can rationalize that behavior pretty easily when you're meeting someone in a one-off situation. Like you're you and a group of friends are at like Wendy's or something and then you ask the the employee for like 30 packets of ketchup or something or like you keep going up and annoying them. Yeah, so doing outrageous things. Doing something stupid like that to a food service employee or something like that where you know you're never going to see that person again, but you have like common decency to um try not to make their life worse yeah but the thing is with uh, a company you're expecting those people to be in your life for a at least an extended period of time yeah minimum of a year minimum of a year um so treating people poorly to try to get something out of them in as a sustainable thing um i obviously wouldn't want to base a marriage off of that but um, as far as motivating employees, I think it has seen success for him. 
I used to work at this restaurant and our boss, I, in my opinion, was quite similar to that. Uh-huh. And I, I felt like there was a very quick burnout. You get, you get yelled at and then like you try to work hard to appease him. But over time, you grow to spite and resent. Mm-hmm. It makes work a hostile place. It makes um, it, do, it doesn't make a good atmosphere, I would say. Um, for the people that are subject to constant torment, at least for people that aren't super thick-skinned, and maybe that was the attempt of the of the treatment style of his employees that he only wants people with thick skin, people that are going to um, be willing to put up with that. So you can't be a it. Him acting that way filters out people who'd be a pushover because lots of people did quit. Lots of people did quit Apple and. Yeah, definitely. When they were working on the Macintosh, mm-hmm. like the very first one, mm-hmm. Steve Jobs had like a team of like, I think it was like 25 employees. And they worked for like 18 months, 90 hour weeks the whole time. Mm-hmm. And he would just bur- like rip them apart every single day. But they were still working 90 hours a week. And many of them quit. And afterwards, the one that didn't said it was the best experience of their lives because it grew them so much. I think that that as an individual, um, two different people responding two different ways to the same stimulus shows that. Um, <laughs> sorry, I got to mess with the chair. Um, Quite a nice chair. It shows how people respond differently under stress, right? Um, and that also shows the powers of like groupthink. I would say I think that's kind of a Orwellian term, but. Um, if everyone's putting in 90 hours a week and you're not putting in 90 hours a week, um, that obviously wouldn't be tolerated in that environment. So you either stick it out till the end or you quit on the spot. And I think by the time they had started building the Mac, um, that they had weeded out the people that are going to quit after a week. Um, so the people that the people were going to see it through until it either shipped or failed. Do you think Apple would be as successful as it is if Steve Jobs, like, just as insightful, but took on a different leadership style? No. 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 I think the the role Apple fills or filled in the market with Steve Jobs' leadership um, could have been filled by other people, but they definitely um, filled that role at a time that um, no one else was doing that. And by that role, I mean, like, tr- ruthlessly imaginative. Yeah. I, I Something I find interesting is Microsoft, another huge tech company. Amazon mm-hmm. is as well. And Elon Musk, you can fall in the same category. And so Bill Gates, Jeff Bezos, Steve Jobs, Elon Musk, all four of them, when they were, like, starting out, did all the same things, just rip all their employees apart. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jeff Bezos, there's like this famous story about him. He's like trying to get the customer support to be like the best in the world. Mm -hmm. And he's at like his corporate meeting. And he's like asking the guy who runs customer support. He's like, all right, how good's our customer support time? From the time I call to like the time they pick up. And the guy's like, we have it down to 30 seconds. So Jeff Bezos, like, you're joking. You're messing with me. He calls customers. He pulls out his phone, calls customer support and like puts it on speaker. 
he just waits in the room for dead silence for like four minutes. So it was way longer than the guy says. And the customer support person picks up and it's like, hi, this is Amazon. What can I do for you? And Jeff Bezos is on the line. He's like, this is Jeff Bezos just checking, hangs up the phone, then fires the guy. I think um, a, a, a quote I've heard, uh, I think it was from Getting Things Done by, oh, oh, oh gosh, what's his name? S- Steve. It's not Steve. I'll look it up. Oh, I know his name. It's it's like, it's a good name. David Allen? David Allen. I was going to say Steve Allen, but I think he's like, is he a rock guy? Yeah, I think Steve Allen's a rock yeah. guy. Yeah. Uh, it's easier to do something 100% of the time than it is to do something 99% of the time. So if you, if you make exceptions now, if you make exceptions for people that you like, then it builds a culture of accepting things because of circumstance and not because of universal principles that we set. So if Jeff Bezos um, markets himself as a person that's going to um, be a person that doesn't tolerate failure, a person that doesn't tolerate incompetency and doesn't tolerate lying, then, um, then if he makes that exception for someone he likes, then it's not going to work. It's not going to work. So I think that's a great example of he has this principle and he's going to stick with it, even if it means he's going to have to fire these people. Um, I think Target was another one of those that that did that. I'm thinking of the, the productivity book, The Power of Productivity. I haven't read it. It was the yellow one. It's in your room. Oh. Oh, Habit? Yeah, The Power of Habit. Yeah. In that In that book, it was some like factory worker uh, some factory executive did something similar where um, they ignored an issue and it like caused like a, a fume leak and someone died or something. And, and the CEO was really good friends with him, but he still fired him. Like you have to keep it a hundred percent. So bring this back to Steve jobs. Mm-hmm. His big thing is perfection. Yes. So he does not make, so you're saying he cannot make a single exception for a non-perfect project. He goes up over budget. He delivers products late and he fires employees, but he cannot make any exceptions to the one principle, perfect products and innovation. If that's his hill that he says he's going to die on, he has to die on that hill. I'm saying what you decide is your priorities. It's going to be a lot easier as a company to say, these are our priorities. We're never straying from it than it is to say, we're going to make exceptions. So if his thing is that he never delivers a product late, then he's going to ship sloppy products. If he says we're never going to deliver a subpar product, then he's going to probably ship projects over budget. Hmm. There's pros and cons to any philosophy. But if you set a precedent and you have to follow it, Mm-hmm. You cannot take on a leadership style of being a pushover. Pushovers never make good leaders, no matter if you're kind or abrasive. Do you think there's a way to make an extremely innovative company or a startup having a non-abrasive leader? I think there's a way to do it. I don't think it's done often. Done often. So just what my ideas of the world 
which probably pretty unknowledgeable. You can start out with an abrasive leadership style because uh-huh. you don't need to be sustainable because you just are looking for sales and making revenue. Uh-huh. Then as you become a big company that's trying to last for generations, you have to switch over to a more sustainable strategy. Your fly is down. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Uh, okay. Uh, yeah. They would distract people on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> they almost saw it. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I think sustainably, like when you have one person being abrasive and you have a team of less than 50 people being led by that one person is way different than what Apple is now, which, what do they have now? Like 50,000 employees worldwide? Oh, more than that. A hundred and forty-seven thousand. Yes. So if you have every leader in your whole company just being a giant jerk all the time that obviously isn't going to work you need to as a company promote things that are sustainable like being nice but as a ceo being the person that's going to push the company forward is a good thing i think another one of our topics um well, that you said we should talk about is tim cook tim cook if you don't mind me bringing that up now yeah it's very point. topical um, I think there was an instance a couple of years ago where he pledged to fund like uh, a, an absurd amount of money, like like thirty billion dollars within the next ten years or something, into like making sure all of Apple's uh, raw materials were um, extracted, um, extracted sustainably, and they weren't like blah blah blah, right? making sure they're environmentally friendly as a company, solar panels, yada, yada, yada. I mean, Apple is one of the most like environmentally sustainable companies. Mm -hmm. And a lot of shareholders were not happy about that. They were like, we need to um, be as a company looking for investments that are going to give us the highest ROI right now. Because the goal of a CEO, CEO, when you reach that level, is to maximize the return on investments of shareholders. Yes. And then Tim Cook was like, no, if you think that's the reason I'm going to be part of this company, you're wrong. Like, you can get out of my stock. He he wasn't going to compromise his um, vision for the company um, for to appease investors, which um, <laughs> is good. I, I think that's that's a much, much better thing. Like 100% of the time, he's valuing environmental um, consciousness. I think that there's a conventionary wisdom that you should try to get other people to like you. And I think it folds over onto leaders where there can be a weakness where they'll listen to other people's advice so they get them to like mm-hmm. like you. And it seems like you're trying to find like this balance between the two. Like Tim Cook needs to be liked by others, but he also needs to stick towards his morals and make hard decisions that he knows people will not like him for. Mm -hmm. And I think even in the long term with that decision, Apple will probably make more money being more environmentally friendly. Actually, I'm not for sure about that. But either way, um, is it, is him valuing the environment over um, over investments and stock prices is that is that good for the world as a whole 
or do you think that's good for the investors? I think it's pretty clear if he if he values the environment, and it's going to be net positive for the world, but probably net negative for investors. Yeah. Um, and that's a decision he chose to make. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Uh, going off of Steve, uh, Tim Cook, I think he does not get enough attention. Like, he, th- even though he's, like, the biggest the CEO of the biggest company. When, when you think of Apple or like big CEOs, you think of like Steve Jobs or Jeff Bezos, Elon Musk, Mark Zuckerberg, but Tim Cook rarely comes to mind. I would agree. But I think he's been just as strong of the leader for Apple as Steve Jobs was. I think the fact that he isn't recognized makes him a better leader. Um, a leader is someone that no one notices that's that's a true leader to me since joining the company their stock price has increased tenfold more than that uh-huh uh-huh and he's risen the iphone market share i think from 20 percent to like 60 percent mm-hmm. of the the phone market in the of u.s the phone market in the u.s yeah but it when you think of Apple CEO, you think of Steve Jobs. It's I don't think it's going to be another 40 years until that notion is gotten rid of. He was just such a figurehead. Yeah. In 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 a way that um, Tim Cook doesn't desire to be. Just different personalities. Mm-hmm. But I think a criticism – so he's done phenomenally well. Mm-hmm. Most dominant company. But – I think a criticism could be that Steve Jobs created the Mac, personal phone, the iPod, changed the music industry, and Tim Cook has very few of these big industry-changing or revol- revolutions he, other mm-hmm. than just increasing Apple's market share. I think there are there are things that are innovative that Apple has been at the forefront of after 2011. I think... Um, Apple Pay was a big thing when it first came out. Um, and I think their uh, Apple Music, I think a lot of the way Steve Jobs innovated was in hardware. And I think Tim Cook's innovations or innovations of Apple under Tim Cook have been definitely more software based. Um, they have not, I correct me if I'm wrong, since 2011, they haven't released a new kind of product. They, like they, like, I mean, the AirPods. Oh yeah. Okay, I guess that was I guess that was like a game changing new product. I I would say AirPods definitely have influenced the wireless headphone market substantially. Who doesn't have AirPods? I don't have AirPods. Yeah, but you're you're a, you're a bit out there. I, I'm a bit out there. <laughs> I'm I'm in the margins of life. Did you see that they just released AirPod Maxes? No, I did not. They're like they're they're just I mean they're they're just headphones, but like five hundred fifty dollars. Are headphones. they over the ear headphones or just? Yeah, yeah, over the ear headphones. Okay. Yeah, like but like five hundred fifty dollars and not like anything new. Yeah. So I think a lot of what we've seen from Tim Cook, and I think the stock price kind of reflects this, is that um Steve Jobs um when he died definitely caused a dip, but the hype is the hype in the um the reputation of Apple is still there. And it was already 
is already set to keep going up after whether Steve Jobs was there or not. Yeah. Um, I think Apple has done a remarkable job with branding. I would very much agree. I think that they def- de- they have defined themselves as a premium brand. I would agree. And so then they can get remarkable sales on things like the iPhone 11, like the the less expensive one, like the $700 one, mm-hmm. or the iPhone 12 mini, mm-hmm. when they make like a low-cost product, but they have this premium brand and they can make so many sales. Mm-hmm. So like the iPhone XR was marketed, there was the iPhone XR, which was the lower end, the X, and then there was like the X Max or something. So there were three tiers. And the XR was like the kind of the big one. It was the hot goss, if you will. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it was it was their lower tier one, but it was just so good. And everyone, like, I would say XR holds more market share than the X and the XS. Oh, for sure. Um, I have an XR. Mm-hmm. I, I'll, I'll, I'll just close that about myself. Um, but they released the X and the XR, so it's like these are great phones. And it's like Apple's this premium brand, but I can't afford that much, so I'm going to buy the XR. Yeah, they marketed it as a um, as a downgrade product or as a less good, worse product. Mm. They they kind of set it up in their marketing like that, even though it was at a uh, price that other like premium dollar um, smartphones are at. Have you heard about the Apple $700 wheels? Um, if I remember correctly, they had their really, really expensive new desktop. And one of the customization features were wheels on the desktop, which cost $700. Yeah, precisely. And it's like, it, you're like, oh, it's an Apple product. So like a $700 thing, like what's the new feature? They're just wheels. Uh-huh. They're, ju- they're just wheels. And like it's just like a piece of metal, and it rolls. I guess it rolls smoothly, but it's not a seven hundred dollar product. But they do this because you hear about these seven hundred dollar wheels, and it's like, oh my gosh, Apple is just the most pristine brand. They're making wheels that are cost seven hundred dollars. Like Gucci, like has like pristine products. So then they release something that a normal person could buy, like a seven hundred dollar iPhone, and everyone eats it up. I think um, that's it. Is isn't that like a semi-common marketing strategy where you purposely overprice things so that way people think it's premium and you market it as a premium product and then people will believe it's a premium product. Or price indicates the quality. Price indicates the quality. When it rarely does. Rarely, yeah. Something I want to talk to you about because as I mentioned earlier in the introduction of Adam is that he is a big computer programmer. Mm Mm-hmm. And something about Apple is the end-to-end integration of everything. And once you buy an Apple product, you kind of get put in like this like children's pin of sorts where like you only can have Apple products. It's really hard to get things like third-party developers onto the Apple things, but it works really smoothly while you're inside. Mm -hmm. What are your thoughts on that? I think uh, highlighting what you said more, Apple doesn't play nice with other people. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't. I think that's been Steve Jobs' philosophy from the beginning, and it is still the philosophy of the company now. Um, when they were starting out, they were 
very close to failing for a really long time. And part of that was they refused to let like anyone develop on their stuff. It took a lot of convincing to get um, Apple or to get Microsoft Office products on Apple computers. So this was right around when Steve Jobs got fired for the, when Steve Jobs got fired, Microsoft took up a huge amount of the market share of the computer industry Mm -hmm. because they were allowing, they were licensing off their software and it was like more integrated. It was open. Mm -hmm. So um, I think we've talked about this before and we should talk about it again now. Um, The pros and cons of um, open, open software versus closed software. Yeah. Um, going over some of the regular points open software obviously promotes uh growth it promotes change in the market but it also um disadvantages the common user if you have um anyone able to develop for your platform you have no way to regulate the quality of the goods that are on your platform and if you have no way to regulate the quality of the goods it's much harder to regulate um your image it's much harder to to regulate the how users perceive your brand and if someone has a negative um experience with a product that isn't yours you're not able to have that in your control then on the contrary a closed software like apple they can choose what's on their website so once the app store got released steve jobs did not think porn should be allowed on any iphone Mm -hmm. so because he thought it hurt the reputation so he just took it all off and it, it, so there's the trade-off of you get to choose your reputation, but it also you're saying hurts innovation. I would agree. Mm-hmm. Then I think there's also a fatigue to Apple users because they, it's hard for them to use new products with other companies. Mm-hmm. I definitely feel the Apple stranglehold. Uh, on my life mm-hmm. um i'll just highlight some of my experiences with it um i am really only able the, the reasons i have an iphone while generally disagreeing with apple's principles as a closed um proponent um i want to be in group chats with other apple users yeah it, um it, in case you don't know uh, if you have an iPhone and you have a group chat with other iPhones, it makes the experience better. It's a lot easier to use. And when there's an iPhone-only group chat, so once you have like three people that all have iPhones in a group chat, you cannot add someone that doesn't have an iPhone. That doesn't have an iPhone, correct. Um, there's FaceTime, which um, was an innovation from Apple, definitely. But you can't FaceTime with non-Apple users. For a while, there were a lot of problems with uh, emojis being sent as weird characters based on the, the phone. But I, that's mostly been figured out now. Because now that Apple's reached like a critical mass or like mm-hmm. as in over 50% of the phones in the United States, mm-hmm. people that don't have it just feel can feel isolated because and if, you're, and not, if, mm-hmm. you're not on the group chat. And if you're not... Um, if you're a company trying to break into the mobile phone market, which I don't know who would be these days, uh, if your stuff doesn't play with Apple, then um, people aren't aren't going to want to use it because they now have the majority. Yeah. Um. 
So does that make it, does that benefit Apple or the consumers to have it that way? Apple. Obviously. If it doesn't benefit the consumer to have their products not work with other products. Do you see that presenting Apple long-term issues down the road? If they keep a because sizable market share, then no. Then it'll be fine. But it's a flaw with the product. It, it, it's something that disadvantaged customers. So if there's a uh, another another product that comes along that plays nice with others but is also a closed system, then I could see people migrating to that. Hmm. Talking about phones, did you see that they made like a phone that was two screens? And so like once so like you have like a normal phone mm-hmm. with the screen, then there's actually a screen underneath the screen. So you can turn the top screen to be perpendicular with the normal screen. So then now it's a two screen phone. So you can be like watching YouTube on the perpendicular screen and like texting on the bottom screen. That sounds pretty cool. I haven't seen that. Yeah, no one's going to buy it though because you can't get in the darn Apple group chats. No, no. (laughs) (laughs) But I mean, if Apple released it, I'd eat that up. If Apple released, I think there's been a lot of of phones and stuff like forever, I would say after 2010 or so, that are like trying to have two screens that fold or the phone that rolls up or the one that flips in and out like a book. Yeah. Um, but I, I don't I don't know until one of those provides a super, super good benefit or until Apple makes one of them, I don't think it's going to be the predominant thing. Yeah, I don't need to get them. All right. Sorry about that. Um, the audio cut off, but we're back. We're back. Back in black. Um, I was just telling Adam about Steve Wozniak. You forget about him. When you say Apple, you think about Steve Jobs, not Steve Wozniak. Mm-hmm. However, Steve Wozniak was the one who made the personal computer. He mm-hmm. did it in his garage when he was going to like the homebrew computer club. And Steve Jobs worked with him to sell it. And Steve Wozniak is still alive. He is? Yeah, Steve Wozniak <laughs> yeah, is still alive. Oh. Well, I mean, like if Steve Jobs was like still alive, he'd be like 70. Like Steve, Steve Wozniak is still alive. He left Apple like what? Like. 90s yeah he left it apple pretty quick it's actually a common misconception i was reading his book and all media had put it out like he left apple because he hated steve jobs he hated steve jobs leadership style like there's like three movies on steve jobs and all of them show steve wozniak leading leaving because he they thought that he hated steve jobs but it was actually because he wanted to start a remote control company Mm-hmm. But I, I feel like more credit should be given to him for starting a, for actually building the first personal computer that we have. Yeah, I I would agree with that. Um, did you know that he, he was like a big guy into pranks? I think I remember talk, the book talking about that. Um, yeah, there was like. A, like a personal computer fair. I'm going to get the facts wrong here, but it was like, there's like, they're presenting like the new Mac or whatever. And Steve jobs made 
like 700 fake flyers for a fake computer and like put it all around this conference and said that like maybe it was IBM came up with it and it got like registered as like a real computer and all like the different like journals picked it up. Uh-huh. And it was like the hot thing, like, ooh, IBM's coming out with this new computer that looks like really bad called like the Zanzibar or whatever. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think I remember that from the book. That that's pretty good. Like they they're just like the counter of one another, where Steve Jobs was like this abrasive man who just yelled at everyone, and Steve Jobs is like this happy, floating orb of of goodness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> that just loves everyone. Like when Apple was going public, the IPO that created the most millionaires. <laughs> yeah, definitely. The most successful since Ford. Ford went public and he gave out all of his shares, like a bunch of employees that were on salary that had no share. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like he gave away, like, I thought, it, I think it was like, tw- like, ended up being like $20 million equivalent to just like random employees mm-hmm. because he felt like they deserved part of the IPO's success. And said, so, like, someone like offered to buy a bunch of shares from him before the IPO. I think that's great. I think, um, Definitely. Obviously, he left the company um, semi early on. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think having someone there um, in almost an equivalent role to Steve Jobs, I think could have helped, definitely did help the company. Um, having people to counteract your your flaws, someone to compliment you is definitely good. After Steve Wozniak left, Steve Jobs hired an HR representative whose job was just to go console people after Steve Jobs, like, ripped them apart. Yeah. (laughs) Or, like, tell Steve Jobs, like, you need to stop yelling at your employees. Like, that was her full-time job. Yes, I remember. (laughs) I think that's that's great. Um, Maybe, like, $100,000 a year just telling some guy to calm down Tone it down. Tone it down. After Steve Wozniak left Apple, he like starts this remote control company. Mm-hmm. He goes and creates a rock concert. Like he just like in like called up all like the big rock people, and it was like this outside concert. And he spent like thirteen million dollars having it, like ten percent of his money, and lost a ton because everyone just snuck into the concert. No one, like, bought tickets. Yeah, because, like, it was, like, an outside concert at a field. So, like, <laughs> people could just, like, come in, not through the gate. Yeah, not through the gate. That's great. <laughs> so, so he has the concert, and it, like, like everyone loved it. Everyone had a great time. So, like, Steve Wozniak is happy. He never cared about the money. Um, And then he realizes that they would have made money if people just didn't sneak in. Um. So he's like, well, that's great. Let's just do a second one. Yeah, it was called the U.S. Festival, and it was in the 1980s. So he has a second concert, and people still suck in, and he still lost money. <laughs> like, he thought he had it figured out, but they ended up sneaking into the U.S. Festival again, the one 1983, and Steve Wozniak lost a lot of money. Yeah, that'll do it. <laughs> You know what they say, in this economy, you just got to check people sneaking into your fields. <laughs> I had a, I had, never mind, 
Let, let's stay on topic. I don't need to make up a story. <laughs> <laughs> when he was back in college, he figured out. Do you remember reading about this? Um, keep talking, and I will. He remembered coming up with a TV jammer. Like you could put the thing on the back of the TV, and he could press a button, and it would jam the TV. Mm-hmm. So he like put it in like the dorm of like all like the big like football meatheads like room. So they'd be like watching like the football game, and then he'd jam it. Mm-hmm. So like then then he'd like unjam it. Then like he'd jam it again, and he wouldn't unjam it. So it wasn't until someone started shaking the TV that he would like re-unjam it. <laughs> right so like he keeps on like getting good at it so like he jams the tv then like someone like miraculously puts like a chair above their head for like trying to like throw it at the like they're doing something stupid like they're upset and they put a chair above their head and so he unjams the tv so he gets them to watch the whole game with this person with a chair above their head and if they like start moving the chair down <laughs> he just re-jams it <laughs> I think those are the great uses of technology there, making people that don't understand it suffer. (laughs) I think you got to the point where it's like one person had to have their foot on the top of the TV and like the other person had to have their head resting on the ground, (laughs) not actually being able to watch the TV. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) He also, with Steve Jobs, they created something called the Blue Box. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and it was you can insert a frequency like you use like this device to insert a frequency on the phone then you then you can insert other frequencies and you can like dial any number for free mm-hmm. yes i remember that that was before they can they made like the apple one right yeah that was while they were in college mm-hmm. and that's how they really started like getting connected yeah then that was the first product that they sold yeah like commercially like steve wozniak made it made it and like he found like some guy on the internet that also made one in captain crunch <laughs> <laughs> because like you're a bunch of like internet guys scamming phone companies mm-hmm. and so like he's gonna come up with a fake name called captain crunch and he made like this box that he could just call, call phone companies and steve jobs would go around selling these things for like a hundred dollars yep. to a bunch of stoners yeah that's great <laughs> <laughs> And it set, like, the precedent for how the relationship worked. If Steve Wozniak was going to create a product and Steve Jobs was going to sell it, and Steve Wozniak would not be happy because he thought Steve Jobs was doing bad things. For example, selling a free telephone to people, Mm -hmm. which is just scamming phone companies. Yeah. All right. I think we're going to leave it at that, Adam. All right. Have a good one. Thank you for having me. Bye.